Jim, as you can see from my cup. I can't read it. There's a glare on the front of it. Oh, it says I poured myself a cup of ambition. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's right, because you went to uh, Dolly, Dollywood. Dolly World? Dolly something. Yeah, Dollywood, yeah. yeah you got your Dolly Parton shirt on there, very nice. Right, and then of course, by the time this comes out, the sci-fi world would have been rocked that Dolly is now part of the sci-fi world too, if you hadn't heard already about that. No, I have not heard. Oh, a wonderful thing. Do you have Hulu? Do I have Hulu? Yes. Okay. Then do you watch the Orville? I do not. Okay. Okay. You'd have to watch it. I'm not going to do yeah, that. I'm not a, I'm not, I'm not a fan of Seth McFarland, but uh, um, I know a lot of people like the Orville, which is great. Um, I've got the soundtrack, weirdly enough. I like to buy mu music scores for stuff I may not have seen. And uh, I got the first, I guess the first season first two seasons i'm not sure what i'm not sure what's on the disc but i like the music um yeah. is it good are you enjoying it i i i i when there was no star trek on tv it made me happy that i had something and <laughs> you know that was close to it even if it was a spoof and uh the third season has has rocked my world i'm really uh star trek star trek is it definitely has somebody who who knows their uh formula and uh, there's a little competition out there. I love healthy competition in anything we do, but this third season rocked me. And uh, the most, the latest episode, which I won't spoil for you. <laughs> that's the that's Dolly's in it. Interesting. Cool. Okay. Well, cool. Well, good. Well, I'm glad. I'm glad you're enjoying it. It's funny that you say when there was no Star Trek on TV. Like in my world, that never happens. That's why I have everything on. Uh, on disc and uh, I've got the streaming service, right? So like, there's always Star Trek on TV. Like, it may not be new Star Trek, but there's always Star right. Trek on TV. Anyway, that is so. true, never been <laughs> off. But we are here to talk about Star yes. Trek adventures. I don't want to get us in trouble, but, but uh, you know, I love sci-fi in, in so many forms. Of course, we know Star Trek inspired it all in the first place. Um, so, so we're happy about that. And today we're uh, here talking about something great, but before we get to that, let's do our normal introductions. I'm Michael Dismuke. Um, I'm a freelance writer for Star Trek Adventures, in addition to um, one of the writers on Continuing Missions, which is the number one blog uh, fan site for, for Star Trek Adventures, the game. And Jim, introduce yourself. Yep, sure thing. Uh, my name's uh, Jim Johnson. I am the program manager, or project manager, sorry, uh, project manager and line editor for the Star Trek Adventures RPG, published by Modifius Entertainment, and uh, co-host of the show. Here to talk about the Gamma Quadrant source book. Yeah, that's right. And I do want to admit too, because I of course always look at the background of everything you have reading. I ended up watching that Beastie Boys documentary. You told me to. That was amazing. Yeah, wasn't it great? <laughs> yeah. So uh, the only the only thing I want to note is uh, I don't know if you can see it, but this is my new acquisition. Uh, it just came in a couple of days or a couple of weeks ago. I haven't had a chance to read it yet. This is a uh, Kate Bush, How to Be Invisible. This is a uh, this is a compilation of a lot of her lyrics. She's a fantastic. Singer, she's getting a, a new boost thanks to uh, Stranger Things. They've been running, uh, they had a, one of her songs, Running Up That Hill, was in Stranger Things a lot. And so she's been getting a lot of airplay. It's been, her song's been like number one for weeks now in the UK and around the world. And so she's gotten a new, you know, surge of new fans. And I've been a fan of hers, you know, since the, <clears throat> the, 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 the 70s. And uh, I just, uh, I knew that um, 
I, I just stumbled on the fact that she she did a limited number of these books uh, in uh, in hardbound, and I managed to find a copy. So uh, I'm looking forward to digging into that. But uh, isn't I've it got interesting a, how yeah. much uh, modern pop culture, more so than ever, is getting wrapped into sci-fi? You know, Dolly's in yeah. Orville, Kate yeah. Bush's in Stranger Things, Beastie Boys. Of course, we know it's all over Star Trek movies, right. cinematic universe. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of cool. I think I you know it's smart that they do that because it makes. And I like how they always refer to it as classical mu music by the time they get to the future, which is really cool. Yeah, it's not classical yet, but boy, do I feel it sometimes. <laughs> right, right. I know when I was watching, <laughs> I mean, when I was watching the Beastie Boys documentary, they're older than me and it's, you know, not by much. And um, I'm sitting there like my nieces and nephews are like, oh, it's old hip hop. I'm like, shut up. <laughs> okay. Anyways, uh, not, not just old hip hop, but it's old. It's the it's the it's the foundation part of the foundation. Uh, the Beastie Boys certainly weren't the foundation, but uh, there there were plenty before them. But they certainly they added a lot to it, and I think they're sometimes they're underappreciated. But I think uh, those of us who grew up with them, we we know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and you know, again, this this totally segues into Star Trek Adventures: The Gamma Quadrant because I think on Deep Space Nine, one of the coolest things was some of their holodeck programs and some of their throwbacks, whether it was to baseball, 20th, 20th century baseball, or whether it was to the classic jazz lounge that was a popular venue, um, it became a super great venue um, on, on the Gamma Quadrant, uh, on, on Deep Space Nine. So let's talk to us, talk to us about the Gamma Quadrant, what you all were thinking about it, Jim, when this um, was being launched. Yeah, so this was, uh, gosh, this must have been 2018, 2019, when we were developing this book. And uh, at at the time we were working on this one, the Beta Quadrant book and the Alpha Quadrant book had already come out, or, or had you know had come out already, and we were working on uh, uh, we were finishing up the Science uh, Division book, and we were working on the Strange New Worlds Adventure Supplement, and uh, you know every release we were kind of advancing the timeline of the game a little bit from the default twenty three seventy one that we did in the core book, and uh, we knew that the Gamma Quadrant book would be pretty heavily focused on the dominion war because right that's where we were getting to because we knew the the uh this book would really cover late ds9 dominion war and then uh and then the uh, delta quadrant book would pick up on voyager and all those all the shenanigans that happened with voyager uh but so uh, gamma quadrant it was, it was uh the first book we had done i mean because you have to remember this was a couple years ago now this was the first book that we did that really kind of expanded a lot of the possibilities because we were going into a new quadrant with all new species that weren't members of Starfleet, weren't members of the Federation. They were completely different. And uh, we had to figure out, okay, we want to make sure that those species are playable as character species and, and to give player groups uh, an opportunity to play, to play the, uh, you know, the Odo, Kira, Quark type characters who are main characters in their own right in their series, but aren't Starfleet, may have a very different perspective, et cetera. So I think, um, you know, where we've talked about how uh, the Shackleton book and uh, the Player's Guide have really just blown open the doors on um, how expansive the game line is now. That really kind of got started with the Gamma Quadrant book because this is the first time we really focused on species that that weren't standard, you know, Federation species. Um, so I think uh, and the uh, book and, and the book really launches, yeah, and the and the book launches straight into action. I'm going to share the yeah. opening jacket. I love I love this um, picture here. Right away, you see the whole the changed Alpha Quadrant yep. based off of the Dominion War, which is from twenty three seventy three to twenty three seventy five. I love the key here, where it shares you all the key battles that that yep. we're aware of. 
I mean, look at this, all the way over here to Earth, there's this Dominion Raider skirmish. That's how far they went, you know, from out of the wormhole. Uh, again, here's Deep Space Nine here. Um, they hit all these hundreds of light years or dozens of light years to, to even be so bold as to take Earth. So this, is, this was fun when I got the book. I, I was trying to figure out, man, which show was each of these skirmishes in? I, mm -hmm. I kind of keep it next to me when I watch the show now and try to trying to locate it here. This must have been fun for you to, to uh, meditate on too, right? Yeah, this was fun. Uh, this was an opportunity for us to take the maps that we'd already done in the first bunch of books and uh, kind of expand on them, do something a little bit different. And uh, Michal Cross was the, the layout expert on this one, and he did a great job with this. Uh, I was really pleased when it all came together. And, uh, and we were able to do something that wasn't just the, the quadrant maps again, that we that by that point fans had seen repeatedly. And we were like, look, right. we need something a little different. Uh, so yeah, so we dropped that in there just to really focus on the war. So yeah, good stuff. Yeah, that was heck of fun. And of course, on page two, you know, we get the cool schematics. We know how much we love schematics here yep. of the Defiant class space frame prototype preparation, which is probably one of the baddest design ships of Star on the Starfleet line, don't you think? Yeah. Yeah, the, 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 the Defiant remains one of my favorites just because when we saw it in, uh, what was it, season three of DS9, uh, it was just so different from the standard Starfleet look and feel. It was like, wow, this is kind of cool. And uh, um, and then, of course, they went on and did a bunch of adventures with it. But yeah, this uh, schematic came in really, came together really nicely. And Mihal put that together, too. I always and, uh, feel like yeah. it's thicker. We just, you know, we just finished talking um, in the last episode about the Kaplan about the La Serena and how it's a scale three ship and, and yeah. how it's a little bulkier and rugged. And I always, from the moment I saw the Defiant on screen, I felt, man, you do not want that thing ramming into you. That thing's gonna hold up mm -hmm. hold up, and you are not. Um, mm -hmm. So it's really, we, as we know, built for battle. So sure. um, let's go ahead and, and jump into it. Welcome to the Gamma Quadrant, the introduction there. Um, yeah. How do we use it in a game, the Gamma Quadrant? Yeah, so just like the uh, Beta and uh, Alpha Quadrant books, this just continues the theme, it, just in focusing on a different part of the of the galaxy. It's uh, it's structured pretty much like we were intentional about structuring these books pretty much the same, you know, chapter by chapter, and just to make uh, a to make them easy to use, but b just so that you know what to what to expect, and if you need to quickly flip to a specific chapter, then you know where to go. Uh, so uh, this is really all about D, you know, it's a lot about DS9, Bajor, the Cardassians. Uh, the Dominion, the Dominion War, uh, like everything that happened in the war, because that's been a very popular setting for a lot of game groups over the years. I mean, even even back in the day, like even before Star Trek Adventures, right? When I was playing, we really kind of liked this period of time because there was just so much stuff on television that we could take advantage of, right? Um, and there was a, a clean slate after it, right? Like after the war, what happens? You, you just make it up, do it yourself. And um so yeah, so we just uh, wanted to really focus on that, but then we also provided some insights into the Gamma Quadrant too, because that's an opportunity, uh, you know, either post-war or pre-war, you know, maybe your ship is assigned to the Gamma Quadrant, you're off exploring, doing stuff, running into the Dominion, running into any of these new species. Uh, so we just wanted to drop in just a lot of opportunities for plot hooks, plot seeds, encounters, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, and that jumps us into chapter two right away where we get into the Dominion. What's your, what's your opinion of, of the Dominion. I've never asked you that. Well, Dominion, pros, cons, do you think they I, had? Yeah, and you know, I, I am a, I'm a huge DS9 stand. Like, I, I think you know that, <laughs> right? Like, uh, like I, I really liked, I, when I was growing up, I watched a lot of original series reruns, of course. 
Uh, and then I was in college when Next Gen came out and I was like, wow, Next Gen is really good. I'm loving it. But I'll tell you when, when DS9 came out, that, that, um, that spoke to me in a way different than Next Gen did. I was like, wow, they're, they're really expanding because they were able to um, get into topics that Next Gen was trying to kind of like avoid the conflict, right? Mm-hmm. And, and and DS9, like right, right from the first episode, Emissary, there was a lot of conflict between Kira and Cisco and Quark and Odo. And there, there's just so much going on. I was like, wow, this is really dynamic. Plus, they added that whole faith element with the Bajorans and, and Cisco suddenly thrust into a position as not just a Federation commander trying to figure it out. Right. But he's also all of a sudden the emissary of the Bajoran people. It's like, how do you deal with that? Right. And so, like, it was just so different. And it, it really appealed to me. And the cast, the ensemble cast was just amazing. And it was, I mean, I hate to say it, but it was kind of bold for them at the time to cast Avery Brooks as the captain. And not only to be the captain, but to be a, um, a single father, right? A single, right. a single black father, which I thought was amazing because they did such a great job with that relationship between him and Jake. Um, and that really spoke to me uh, quite a bit. And I think it, it might be because, you know, not to go too far into the weeds here, but <laughs> it might be because I, you know, I had some challenges uh, growing up with with my with my dad, and uh, I was always looking for different, you know, relationships to understand better. And so, like the 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 Jacob uh, Ben Cisco relationship was like, wow, that's a really good father son relationship, and uh, it, it just really spoke to me. Um, yeah. Like I, I've got all the DS9 reference material on my shelf over here. I look at it all the time, and so um, I was I was a huge fan of the Dominion. I think they did a great job creating this adversary that was multi-layered, right? It wasn't just the, the founders, it was the founders and the Vorta and the Jem'Hadar. So you got like all kinds of different elements and pieces that you can challenge, and, you know, speaking specifically of the game now, that you can challenge your players with all these different things. It's like, oh, it's one thing to run into the Jem'Hadar, but then you've got to deal with the Vorta, you know, uh, Lieutenant, and then, and then if things get crazy, and then you got to deal with the founders, right? So there's, there's just so many layers and things going on. And uh, what I really liked, you know, now that you got me on this uh, soapbox and tangent, um, <laughs> I, I loved how they introduced the Dominion where uh, like Quark was the one who was kind of like the first the first person to really get wind of the Dominion. Right. And so it was like this kind of shadowy organization that you didn't really understand about. And they were doing like trade, agree- trade arrangements and trade agreements. And people people were hinting about the Dominion and they were and the writers were dropping these little Easter eggs like, oh, what's the Dominion? Ooh, what's this? What's yeah. happening? Um, and then, you know, by the end of season, what was it season two, I guess, they uh, they they blew it off the hinges. I mean, literally, when they had the Jem'Hadar come in uh, and destroy the Odyssey, right? And you're like, whoa, what just happened here? You know, it's like, holy crap. And, and part of that's because a lot of us had been, we had just watched seven years of Next Gen, right? Mm-hmm. And and here's a Galaxy-class ship on the big screen, on the TV screen, getting blown away by these Jem'Hadar. And we're like, oh, you know, there's that moment of like, wait a minute, what did they just do? They just blew up the, the beloved ship that we've been watching for seven years, even though it wasn't the Enterprise. It was still, you know, yeah, very similar. The reason I uh, liked that, I, I was, yeah. I, I was, man, how old was I? How, what year did it come out again? Um, 90, 90, uh, 93. 93, okay, so so I was just almost 18, 17, 18 years old. 91, no, was it 91? Shit, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna you, you talk, I'll research. Yeah, yeah but well, uh, whatchamacall came out in 87, so yeah yeah i think i think you're right 93 93 yeah, yeah, yeah. 93. so so what i liked about it was i always had this issue that in a huge galaxy where and this was back when i was watching the next generation that they never had run across another 
multi-species federation. It bugged me. They never showed Romulans with different polities. They never showed Klingons banded together. And I thought that was really arrogant of the Federation. I, to this day, I still have an issue with the Prime Directive. And so I was so happy when they not only introduced another, another multi-special polity, but one they could kick their butts. I was like, thank you. It's about time they clash against another um, equally powerful uh, uh, government. And, and the way you just described it with the different tiers of different species that each played a distinct role, I thought that was like, okay, here we go. Now, now I'm really fixed on this and interested in it. It was hard to watch, as I said before, because if you miss one episode, you miss the ongoing story. Yeah, so that yeah. was an irritant to me. But again, when I went back and watched it on streaming, that solved all that. And then it became, you know, just a, a great epic with, like you said, some of my favorite characters, Garrick being number one mm -hmm. <laughs> off that show. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, fantastic. So, so this book, I think, does a good job from when I read through it, talking about the political structure, even talking about some of the things that we didn't see a lot of. Maybe we only saw it on one episode, like Board of Telekinesis. Um, you know, it refers that. Um, one of, and again, again, another one of my favorite characters is the Tosk, who I don't think we've seen enough of, um, is, is highlighted in, in here. Um, and a lot of those characters we saw in the first seasons of DS9, uh, these one-shot aliens where you know they came through the wormhole, but what are their civilizations like? So there's some um, expansion on that here, which I thought was really cool. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep, and then a, lot of, a lot of stuff about the worlds, a lot about the different species that are in the Dominion that we've been introduced to, uh, you know, the usual sidebars and uh, in, in setting uh, material there just to, to think about. Um, we go into talking about some of their allies, like the Breen and the Sonar. Uh, this was an opportunity uh, we were able to kind of like sneak in a little bit of references to some of the next gen movies just mm -hmm. to try to tie in because that's where it was all happening in that time uh, time frame. Um, you know, and of course, I'm sure you're you appreciated some of the artwork that we were able to drop in here. Oh, the uh, artwork is amazing, which shows yeah. the dominance of the uh, Dominion, the Vortas and how they subjugate worlds. I think yeah. really good art. Some of the things, again, the paragraphs that are in here that I could build entire stories off of. Uh -huh. There was one paragraph about the buildings on page 23, where it speaks about the Dominion who uses neutronium to construct its facilities. And neutronium is incredibly strong and resistant to scans from tricorders and other low power sources. And when I read that, I was like, ooh, why is there not a neutronium smuggling ring out of the gamma quadrant into the alpha selling this off <laughs> yeah. to, to illegal businesses and Ferengis who don't want to be scanned? I was like, neutronium is a story into itself. So again, I love some of these, Easter, like, they're not Easter eggs because they were in the show, but they're Easter yeah. eggs in this book where you can build an entire campaign off of one paragraph. Sure thing. Yep. And uh, speaking of Easter eggs, there's two I wanted to highlight. Uh, number number one is uh, those of you who are fans of the Kazin, uh, we were able to drop in a few paragraphs about the Kazin, so we dropped that in here. This is probably one of the, this might be either the only book or one of the very few books where we were able to drop in some information about the Kazin, because they're quite not even, they're not really canon, uh, but they are part of the, the, the beta lore, or like secondary canon, whatever you want to call it. Uh, so uh, we were able to drop that in. And then on page uh, 39, is uh, because I was uh, at this point in my life on the game, I was uh, I was starting to transition into the uh, program management role. And so I was taking on a lot of different duties in terms of editing, writing, and art direction. Um, I wrote this art brief for the uh, the PacLeds meeting, the, the Gem Hadar and the Vorta. And uh, there was no way to label this piece of art because that, you know, we're not labeling the art. But uh, if you go back, you know, you fans who want to follow these Easter eggs, 
go back to the core book and read. Uh, there's a sidebar in there about the about the Packleds being the first to head into the Gamma Quadrant to explore. That that captain is this guy right here in the in the seat. That I wanted to make sure that I got him in a piece of art somewhere in the game <laughs> before I got before I was done. So that's that's Captain. Uh, uh, I don't have the name in front of you. Zelnobog, I think. Uh -huh. uh, so that's that's his ship and his crew. Uh, being boarded by uh, Avorda and some Jem'Hadar while they're in the Gamma Quadrant. So I wanted to make sure I got that in there. And what I love about this picture more than anything else is uh, if you can, I mean, uh, those I'm of you who are going to put it up. Can't see I'm gonna, it. I'm, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and put it up so we can all see it. But it's the it's the pack led kind of like peeking out from behind the behind the door behind the Jem'Hadar. Like they, the artists put that in there on their own. I didn't write that in the art brief. I just had pack leds talking with Vorda and Jem'Hadar, and they added this little guy. This pack lid kind of like peeking around the corner, like, what's going on, guys? Mm -hmm. And that's just so perfectly pack lid. And what I think is hilarious is, uh, of course, this predates um, Lower Decks by uh, several years, right? But but this this picture fits the pack lid aesthetic that we now know from, from Lower Decks, right? Like, I could totally see this type of character having had happen just based on what we've seen in lower decks for the last two seasons uh so i was just i was very very pleased that it all it all worked out so and this I, is a, I can't yeah. say anything i'm on an nda but what i will say is jim this story continues through if anybody keeps paying attention to all the publications coming out this this story in particular that you started here about the pack lids and their involvement with the gamma quadrant continues if people keep a sharp eye on Star Trek Adventure publications. Um, I, I personally know I use this as a springboard for a lot. So um, we'll talk about that at a future time. Yeah. I'm, I, the, I, am, I, I am pleased my torrid love affair with the pack list has, has spread to other people. So my job is done. <laughs> yeah, you infected me, that's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> just your enthusiasm about it. There's some stuff we flew by, but I just want to make note of it because yeah. there's notable worlds. And these are worlds that were maybe mentioned in passing in Deep Space Nine. All of you who worked on this book, all the writers, I mean, they went through a fine tooth comb to, with, through every episode of Deep Space Nine and found some of my favorite things that I had questions about. One, the founder's home world, this liquid planet, basically, right? What's its core like? I have all these questions about that, and it's mentioned here. But also Meridian, if anyone remembers the episode where they went to that planet that was phased out of time, really good early episode of Deep Space Nine, again, that you could always make a second contact mission to um, if you get really creative. So, so as you're reading through this, it really sparks those episodes. Feel free to find the episodes and watch them again as you're getting this book, but mm -hmm. some really good stuff, stuff in there about the Gamma Quadrant. Um, like you said, the Breed and the Sona and all the different technology we come across too. This yep. is a busy, busy chapter. Mm -hmm. <laughs> For sure. Yep. And then, and then we got, you know, and then we're still in chapter two, right? And then we followed yeah. up with like, like 18 to 20 pages all about the war. Like there, there were like, like that war lasted what, three and a half seasons, mm -hmm. plus all the, all the, all, you know, the background to it and then the follow up. And, and we just tried to pack in just as much as we could into the, into the page count we had available. And the, the writers, I thought, did a great job on this chapter because I, 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 I didn't challenge them, but I said, look, what we need to do with this chapter is, is really present soup to nuts everything about the war beginning what was happening during the war end of the war post-war ideas for game masters players everything that you know just as much as we can pack into here let's do it and uh, i thought they did a great job tying in a lot of the stuff that happened in uh like late next gen ds9 and then even some of the movies like tying in the sona and, and some of the other movie elements 
And, uh, you know, even, even then dropping in sidebars about like, how do you, how do you role play in the war? Like, how, how are you, like your, uh, you know, your, your science focused character maybe joins Starfleet to be a scientist, but all of a sudden there's a war. <laughs> so how do you yeah. deal with that? And uh, those of you who've been following along our, our episodes here, you'll know that this chapter was the chapter I handed to Carlos when he was developing the, the Federation Klingon War chapter in the, in the Discovery book. I said, I, you know, because he, he wanted to write the, the chapter about the war. And I said, OK, the best thing to do is go read the chapter on the Dominion War in the, uh, in the Gamma Quadrant book. That's going to be your, your, your foundational baseline. Like that's, that's what we want for the Discovery book about this war. And, uh, you know, he did a great job with that. But this this was what really sparked that is like we want to really go into detail um, and just provide game masters and players just as much information as we possibly can pulled from canon, but then also adding more more seeds here. Well, let me make a suggestion to it. I've noticed the tendency with a lot of players coming into the game now because we know the original setting of the Shackleton Expanse is 2371. I've noticed a lot of people tend to play after that and a lot of their new characters coming onto the ships, at least in our game and some other games I've watched online, they had some sort of experience in the Dominion War because it was such a big thing. Well, there's almost every skirmish and war and the timeline is cataloged here. If you have a player, it's like, hey, you know what? Use these five paragraphs and where were you at this time? Maybe that's the skirmish you were involved in. You couldn't be everywhere at once, but there's some fat details in here that could really round out your character's backstory if you truly are a war veteran. So um, for those of you maybe coming in, it's like, oh, I was part of the Dominion War and that's all you know. This book is going to give you every corner of that battle um, and then help you really flesh out your character. I like it when, you know, people are sitting at the bar and they say, yeah, back when, you know, I was in a, one of the big three skirmishes of the war, you know, and they're able to pull out some details. I think that enriches characters. Yep. Yep. All right. Fantastic. Now let's get down and dirty about those species, the chapter on species. Yep. So this was a, this was a fun challenge for, you know, actually this is the, this is the kind of work I like, right? This is, this is, uh, this is the type of chapter where I have to work on where I'm, I'm required to rewatch a whole bunch of Star Trek, but you know, Oh, Oh, whoa, I have to go watch DS nine again. So, you know, uh, but it was going through the episodes, going through the seasons and, and trying to pick out, okay, what species could probably make really cool player character species or player characters, right? <clears throat> and so, uh, you know, the, the writers and I came up with a fairly long list of species and then we just started whittling, whittling them down. Uh, kind of um, like, I don't know that we had a rhyme or reason, but we wanted to hit the highlights, right? The really key ones and then add a couple weird ones in, in addition. Um, so we got some really cool species in here. The ones I, I'm really quite proud of are the... Uh, are the Dosai and the uh, Karima and the Screens, because I thought the Screens were just a really cool one-off species. And then uh, the the Tosk were, were a fun throw-in. I was like, oh, would anybody awesome. ever play a Tosk? Well, why not, right? Because like at, at that point, <clears throat> the, the fans have been clamoring to play Romulans. And I'm like, if you guys really want to play Romulans, I bet there's somebody out there who wants to play a Tosk. So I'm going to throw a Tosk in here uh, for a play, playable player character. Um, yeah, and then, Oh, I was going to say, too, again, um, I know some of the writers will use these and put them in mission briefs and stuff like that. So people should really keep an so. eye if they need the stats for that. Yeah. Yeah, on that. Uh, but uh, I, uh, so, you know, I love the pack leads, you know, probably more than I need to. <laughs> but uh, as, a, as, a, as a huge DS9 stan, like, uh, I, will, I will proudly admit that I am a big fan of the episode Move Along Home. Uh, which was a first season episode. A lot of people don't like it for <laughs> reasons I can't really fathom. Like I knew it was an early season 
it was an early series episode, so it was them still kind of feeling their way, getting getting to know their characters. But like, if you if, when I watch it, I like I think it's a great story for Quark and a great moral dilemma for him to deal with. Totally. Um, so. But yeah. uh, I love the I love the Wadi as as characters, mm-hmm. and uh, I was like, sure, I would love to play a Wadi in somebody's campaign. That would be a great, either like a walk on one shot or uh, or even an, an ongoing character maybe gets caught up in something and is transported far away from home or whatever. But uh, I mean, why didn't they ever have an episode where the Wadi met the Q? They're all into playing games. Oh yeah, imagine them their civilization trying to outplay Q. That would Ooh. be cool. That would be cool. Anyway, so the- why are you here? Yeah, one of the one of my wish lists on this chapter to tell you the truth, because my you know my memory is not perfect, is there's others like the Dre, the Kareem, and the Lurians, the Paradins. I know art space is a premium, but even if it was just a headshot of a drawing of just their heads, just so mm-hmm. we can remember their facial features, because in Star Trek that's really the identifier. Um, th- that's one thing I do wish we at least had little squares of their headshots, because when I look at just the art, I remember the shows. Yeah, no, no, I hear you. I hear you. Yeah, and that that was that was always the challenge, especially with these earlier books. Is uh, is uh, we just didn't have the we didn't have the page count to to fit art for literally everything. That's why a lot of the spaceships didn't have art, and why a lot of the the subspecies didn't have art. It was just like we we can only do so much, right? And uh, like with the with the more recent books, with like the uh, the Shackleton book and the uh, the Discovery book, right? We we made I was more careful to like okay, we're doing five new species here. We're doing pictures for all five. We got five new species in this book. We're doing pictures for all five. And you'll see that in, in more upcoming books here that I tried really hard to make sure that there was a picture for every new species and, and also the space frames, right? Like, so uh, I don't think this, I don't think I've already revealed this, but in the uh, in the Utopia Planitia Starship book here coming up, I made sure that every space frame has a picture. So you don't have to go to the internet. It's all there in the book. So <laughs> I get it, right? I, awesome. I, hear, I hear you, fans. I wasn't able to get pictures of all the space stations and small craft, but all the space frames, they're all in there. So oh, it'll be more like a ship. It'll really be like a shipyard to put then with all the art. I love looking through here and seeing all the dinos. I know it's all. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, uh, Eagle Moss Hero Collector were able to put a whole lot more art in their stuff because they don't have to worry about the game stat blocks and stuff. Um, but no, I promise uh, all the space frames we were able to cram into the Utopia book, every one of them's got a picture. I, uh, I was able to do some 11th hour scrambling to find a few that we had been missing. And I was like, I was prepared to do like a, just like a, a, a schematic or a badge or something in, in place of the art, or I was just going to cut it completely. If I couldn't find art, I was just going to cut it. Uh, but managed at the 11th hour to find a couple of folks who uh, actually had some good renders on hand and, uh, and made it work. So uh, yay for that. Well, <laughs> anyway, back to the speaking, of, no, speaking of starship that gets us right into the next chapter, which Yep. We now have an entire new fleet of ships to play with. Um, we have starships of the Dominion War. We have yep. we have even, um, you know, jumping past some of the, the Dominion ships is we have the USS Prometheus, which I thought was kind of interesting that this one was carried here because it's actually, it showed up, I thought it showed up the first time in Voyager. Yeah, it did. And... Um... But uh, if I remember the lore right, it was it was meant to it was meant to be a, a Borg fight. I don't remember all the details. I have to read. It. I have to read it. <laughs> um, yeah, it was it was to fight off know, the Borg. Yeah, correct. I'd have, to, I'd have to go back and try to remember why the heck did we put the Prometheus in here in the first place? Um, and I don't remember that conversation. Um, 
I mean, don't get me wrong. It's an awesome. Um, that was one of my favorite episodes with with the yeah. doctor and the second doctor, EMH Mark II, the comedian. I just forgot his name. Uh-huh. Uh, Andy. Andy. Uh, uh, forgot his last name. Um, that anyway, was maybe maybe it was fan service. I, I don't remember why we put the Prometheus in here, but uh, but we threw it in here, and uh, you know, some fans were happy, some fans were frustrated, but whatever. Um, we added in some more ships. Um, you got the Either way, it has the task listed there in case anyone's looking for it, multi yeah. assault mode. So yeah. that's in the Gamma Quadrant book if you're looking for it. Uh, yeah, and the it. space frame, I've already I've already uh, confirmed that the, the Prometheus space frame will be in the in the Utopia Planitia book. So uh, so fans can be happy that it's finally formally the space frame is formally available will be available once the once the book comes out, so consolidated. Uh, yeah. There was, a, you know, again, there's a lot of sh- uh, ships in here. I want to point out on page 90, this was the first mention of the Frankenstein fleet that I recall. Yep. Um, there may have been a brief mention in the core rule book. I can't recall, but this was an extension of the Frankenstein fleet. And yep. what I thought was really neat about it is after the Battle of Wharf 359, ship parts flying everywhere, of course, you're not going to trash it all. And there's even, I think there was even some. Um, SCA books about recovering those materials and building the ships. Um, so I thought that was really neat, the history of uh, the rules set for if you're trying to pull different space frames together in order to build these Frankenstein ships. I thought that was so cool. Yep, and uh, shout out to our our good friend, Aaron, Aaron Palea. He wrote uh, the vast majority of this chapter. As he does, he writes most of the starships for us. Uh, so he did all this stuff. He came up with the rules for the Frankenstein fleet. And if I remember right, I think Nathan uh, Dowdell, he, I think he reviewed them and was uh, was good with them. He, but Nathan being the uh, 2D20 developer and the original developer of the uh, SCA game. Uh, so, you know, for those of you who who care about having Nathan, uh, you know, bless the stuff that's in the books that he didn't work on, you know, formally, uh, you know, there it is. But, but uh, yeah, so yeah, great stuff by Aaron, as always. Um, always a joy to, to review his stuff and get it added into the book. That's right. That's right. Cool. All right. Um, now we move into exploring the Gamma Quadrant, Chapter Five. Okay. One of my favorite parts of all these books are these suggested encounters. A lot of details in here, and what I thought was really cool is you get deep into Bajor lore. How does that sound? Bajor lore. Bajor lore. Yes, indeed. Right. Yeah. So this was an opportunity to throw a whole bunch of plot seeds, plot hooks, plot ideas, etc., for the game master, and then even the player. Right. If the player picks this up and is casually browsing it. And they say, hey, that's really cool. I want to play a Bajoran. Let's get this in here. Uh, we talk a lot about the orbs, the different Bajoran orbs. Uh, we talk about... Uh, which you know, I used, by the way, I want to tell people this, which I used to create our own orb in our game because there's those are the orbs we know about. There's other orbs out there. And so very true. this is a cool chapter to give you a framing around orbs. Yep, and if you're a fan of the the DS9 novels that came out uh, in, the, in the, the early 2000s, 2010s, uh, there's some great... DS9 Bajoran slash type of uh, uh, novels out there that uh, add even more orbs to the storyline. So there's a lot of cool secondary canon stuff out there to, to mine for ideas if, uh, if you're so inclined. Cool. All right, uh, let's, let's talk about some of those encounter seeds. Uh, yeah, encounter seeds uh, here for uh, like the early part of the chapter, Bajoran wormhole, uh, different things that you can get into with the, uh, with the, the Dominion and the Gamma Quadrant in general, encountering Tosk and other stuff like that, uh, dealing with the prophets. Uh, and then we uh, offer a selection of NPCs like we usually do in these books. Uh, we got a bunch of um, uh, uh, Dominion uh, NPCs, you know, Gemhadar, Gemhadar Bordas, uh, other Dominion species that you can drop into things. 
Uh, don't fly by too fast because there's some cool. Oh, uh, you know, I'm always looking at you know, I'm always looking at the the stats and seeing what's cool. The 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 special rules for Jem'Hadar they're kind of scary. They got resistance to armor, and if you played the game, you know anything with resistance to is not easy to take down. But then there's this thing called the shroud, mm-hmm. where a Jem'Hadar may spend two threat as a minor action to become virtually invisible, increasing the difficulty of all tasks to basically see them. So I thought that was a really cool, adaptive, scary rule because. Jem'Hadar are scary. Yeah. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. So then we move on to uh, another uh, section of encounters and possibilities, uh, talking about the front line. So this is uh, the theory being that you are dirt, you are working your way through the war. You're a, a ship, you're a crew, right there on the front lines, getting into the heat of the fighting and the battles. And uh, how does that impact you? What does that mean? Um, what, how does that impact your stories and your game types? Uh, can there be some intrigue? Some could you be in the middle of the politics, right? The whole politicking between the the Alpha Quadrant species. Are they going to band together? Are they going to uh, sign treaties with the Dominion? Are they going to sign non-aggression pacts? Like, how does that all work out? How does your player characters get involved in the middle of those political intrigue conversations? You know that kind of stuff. If you uh, could so, go back in time, would you have turned these into mission briefs? Uh, yes. Yeah, because they yeah. really anyone who's familiar and loves mission briefs like I do. All of these could have been a campaign of mission yeah. briefs, the way they were written. They're really well done. And so it's, it's not that hard. We have episodes on how to create a mission brief. <laughs> um, you could always take a look at that. But yeah. if you want to have a, a really rock'em, sock'em Dominion War campaign, take this and, and use those principles. Yeah, I mean, this was all uh, this was all predating mission briefs, of course. This was all probably like the, the, the gestational stuff in my head as I was working through, like, oh, I really want to do some some strong episode seeds here, plot hooks, et cetera. And so they started off as a few sentences in like the four book that became a paragraph here. And then I expanded them to a full page in the, uh, in the mission brief. So uh, don't think I'll go beyond a page, but although I know we've talked about maybe expanding them even further, but right. uh, yeah, so this was the, uh, the evolution of mission briefs, I guess is kind of uh, the DNA is in here uh, where, where we got, you know, a paragraph is really good. Cause like, you know, par- these par- paragraphs are solid idea generators. Yeah but you add a little bit more meat to them and then all of a sudden they're a mission brief. Yeah, just expand. I always tell people expand out a point you like and create three challenges, three task goals based off of that, or three cha- either a combination of tasks and challenges mm-hmm. off of that and you have some action. Um, we then move on to some major characters like General Martok. We also have Kai Wynn, who we all love to hate, right? And um, the one thing that makes me sad is obviously it had to be some sort of editing issue. Her focuses aren't in here. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> yeah, and of course, you know, they, would, they would be scummy, whiny, deceitful, manipulative. You know, I know what they are, but yeah. um, I did notice that. I was always curious to see what hers. Uh, I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to go back to the uh, to the original manuscript and see if I can find them. I, I we must have just missed that, and that's weird that it's happened before too. And it was with a different designer, but uh, I yeah. think based on what I understand of InDesign, when you've got the different um, blocks of text, when you're moving stuff around especially from, from one page to the next page, like you can move that stuff onto a, onto a holding space and then you probably just forgot to pull it back in, I guess. But uh, yeah, apologies for that omission. Uh, I'll get that corrected at some point. And uh, right. just, just find it, just test, t- just type in negative snake-like qualities. And <laughs> pick the first six you get. Actually, she's only got one focus. The, the focus is my child. <laughs> oh. Oh. 
She gives me the creeps. Yeah, she's, worse she's than gold. I'd rather spend overnight with gold to cut than Kylan. Mm, yeah, she was <laughs> great, great character because she's she's one of those characters that you just love to hate, right? It's just like the instant you see her on screen, you're like, ah, <laughs> oh, hypocritical. The most passive, oh, passive aggressivity. That would be one of her focus. There you go. Passive aggressivity. She's a queen yeah. of that for sure. Actually, you got me. Uh, you got me thinking. Now I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to go. I'm gonna, I'm, we'll make this an exclusive for the. Uh, for the uh um for the show here let me uh you're gonna look it up while you look it up i'm gonna talk about some of the other focuses that i like yeah, sure thing. while you're digging that in um i love gold Ducat, of course the, another fantastic cardassian character um where he amazingly though being cardassian is that is that has focuses of bajoran culture and bajoran religion which yeah, i yeah. thought was really nice because you know he's um obsessed with the bajorans he hates to love them, loves to hate them. You know, it's just such a complex character. And then also um, between Wayun, who of course we all love the, the clone, you never know which Wayun you're dealing with. Um, he has propaganda and the founder leader, if you remember her and her um, horrible skin problems in the very last season, um, she had brinksmanship, which is the first time I've ever seen that as a focus. And you know, we're all about get creative with your focuses. Those make, between the values and the focuses that makes the character. Mm. All right. Did you find it yet? Uh, you know, I, I found the manuscript and, uh, and I'll tell you what, <laughs> they, uh, the, the reason that they're not in the book is because they are not in the manuscript. We, 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 that's a whiff. We, we missed uh, including focuses for Kai Wynn. Oh, because uh, so, you know what? Everyone that hates her, they yeah. just want to get past her. They didn't want to deal with her anymore. I, yeah. I can understand why. But, but, but now that I've written, now that I'm reviewing the book and I, and I just looked at the manuscript, I remember that the, the manuscript, um, that was a uh, adding, adding Martok, Dukat, Win, and Weyun was a, was a, a last minute addition. Um, cause we, we actually had like four pages. We were four pages under the budget, right? We, and we had a little bit of room. And I was like, well, there's an opportunity here. I think we need to put some major NPCs in here. That I think that was something that we had missed earlier, right? And and uh, at the time, I think uh, Sam was still the uh, line manager and said, well, can you can you whip up four or five characters for me real quick? And and so I I I'll own it because I wrote them. <laughs> ah, but uh, I th this was just a super last minute. I, I think I did this over a a short weekend and uh, just banged these out as fast as I possibly could. And uh, and miss the focuses. So apologies, folks. Okay. Uh, I'll have to put together a list and uh, and try to come up with some good focuses for Kai Kai Win. Hey, all I gotta say is compared to the Alpha and Beta Quadrant books, which are good, this one shows the passion that went into it. Uh, the the people who wrote this, even though we're all fans of Star Trek and whoever wrote these, but this one was just totally richer because now that I'm looking fresh through them for the shows. This one was the richest tapestry of characters and depth and history. Like I said, it read like mission briefs, a lot of it um, mm. that way when I was reviewing it. So good job on the Gamma Quadrant. Yeah, thanks. Anything yeah, else was... you know before heading out? Uh, no, just uh, again, this is a, a, even though it's only been three, three or four years, it feels like an, a lifetime ago, but a lot of people who worked on this book are, have moved on to different things. And I uh, just want to thank all of them for all their work. Um, on the book really appreciate it uh we uh, you know grew the line from here but uh, this was a big foundational book because uh, i know a lot of folks really wanted dominion war stuff and this really became the dominion war book plus you know gamma quadrant uh so this was truly like i'm grateful that you said you saw the passion in it because this was uh this was one of those books like 
like as I was tra transitioning toward the project management job that I was like, I have an opportunity to really shape this one and add a lot of my love for DS9 and, and Star Trek into this one. So, uh, yeah. um, uh, you know, last point though, um, there was a, there's a bit of sadness around this book as well. Um, during the, uh, during the, the final development of this, like as we were going into layout and getting ready to finalize it, uh, both uh, uh, longtime Star Trek writer DC Fontana uh, mm -hmm. passed away. And then uh, the huge blow at, at the time, especially, I mean, uh, anybody dying is horrible, but uh, Rene uh, Aubergenois uh, passed away as well. And uh, uh, wasn't it Aaron Eisenberg? <laughs> he passed away later, a little okay. bit later. Uh, but both both uh, uh, DC and uh, and Renee passed away, and uh, it was an opportunity to get in a um, a, a heartfelt thank you for both of them and in a, a, a memory of for both of them. Yeah, that was really nice. <laughs> I want to say too, you know, for people who are like, oh, I'm not playing in the Gamma Quadrant. Period. We aren't we we aren't playing in the Gamma Quadrant my game either, but we're playing in a different galaxy, and we made the other galaxy home to the Celestial Prophets. It's their origination point. So another way I use this book and everything I could about the Bojorans and Celestial Prophets to create a piece. So there's nuggets in here. You know, the thing is, the more you read as game masters the more ideas you're going to have and everything's going to pull together. So fantastic job on this. We want to do our shout outs, of course. Um, uh, I have a question. Can, if game shops wanted to order these, can they still order these? They're still in reprint? Uh, yeah, yeah, these are still in yeah. print. Okay, cool. So I'm going to give a shout out to, this is a cool one. Phil O'Neill gives us a shout out from Bay City Plaza, Geelong, Victoria, Australia. And, and his favorite store is Mind Games. We also um, gonna go international. We have Heroes Beacon in St. John, New Brunswick, Canada. That's Scott Kimball who wanted to shout out that. And we're gonna bring it back to the United States with Atomic Games in Muncie, Indiana, USA. Thomas McManus shouted them out. And Benjamin Sloan shouts out Fox Comics and Games in Marion, Illinois. So those are our shout outs because we always love loving the brick and mortars for keeping the games alive. Jim, who are you shouting out today? Uh, well, I, I just shouted out most of the folks that were involved in the book. I want to thank them. And uh, so I also want to issue a correction because uh, you were right. It was Aaron. It was Aaron Eisenberg who passed away while we were developing this book. I had actually flipped to the next thing that we're going to be talking about in the next episode okay <laughs> so uh yes aaron Eisberg, we were able to get a, a memory of for him into the book so uh uh loving memory of him and all the work he did uh both on and off star trek so that'll be my shout out for this one all right that's worth it all right everyone idic till next time when we cover the delta quadrant live long and prosper be safe be well talk to you next time